Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation to Freedom's Path Recovery Society. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing their services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality and sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path or any other organization. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, Hura Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. This week's guest is Cheryl, and I tell you what, I am not going to do a whole lot of explaining about yourself and your story, because I think that you do an awesome job of that, um, and I imagine that most people... I don't imagine it, I know it. They would rather hear you than me. So um, if you don't mind, just take it away. Thank you so much for coming as well. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. So the reason I'm here is I wanted to um, bring about some information about addiction and uh, overdose. Mm -hmm. Uh, I lost my son, Jacob, who was 19 years old, November 15th, 2020. And... He battled addiction for four years, and he was a great kid. Hmm. Aside all of the the stupid things he, he did and, and uh, the pain that he put us through, he was a wonderful, wonderful kid, hmm. and he always had a really big heart. So when he was going to school, when he was in junior high, even elementary, he was bullied constantly, and... I didn't know how bad it was until we were planning his funeral. And one of his friends that we, we asked to do the eulogy said that Jacob didn't have any friends. People bullied him. Hmm. And they bullied him his whole life. And when he was 16 and he had his own job and he had his own money, they would pretend to be his friend so they could get drugs out of him or alcohol out of hmm. him. And it was just really tragic to think that he had suffered that long with being hmm. bullied. Um, but I think it started a little bit before that, um, when he was a little boy, three years old. Mm. I do believe he suffered with mental health issues, and I was never, you know, I never spoke to a doctor about it because I just thought mm. it was his imagination. He would come upstairs and he would tell his older brother and I that he heard people calling his name downstairs. Mm. And we just thought, ah, oh, it's, it's his imagination. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of let it go. And he continued to do it for years, but we still were just, we didn't check into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened after that um, with the whole bullying thing, um, he was 15 years old and he was really struggling, um, trying to find his identity. And he was hospitalized for a month because he was suicidal. Mm-hmm. So during that month in the hospital, they decided uh, to put him on a bunch of different medications. And I was always anti-medication because I'd seen so many of my friends' children on 
medicine for ADHD and, you know, a lot of their mm -hmm. kids were zombies and I didn't want Jacob to have to go through that. Mm -hmm. And when he was put on a couple of different prescriptions, he seemed to like the effects that it did. He lost weight. He was always a, a thicker kid, mm -hmm. um, but he'd lost a lot of weight. So he liked that. Um, so he was getting some self-esteem back and um, girls were starting to notice him. And then he could focus on his schoolwork. So I wasn't that against the medication anymore mm -hmm. if it was working and, it, and it, if it made him feel better, I mm -hmm. was okay to that. Um, he started getting into trouble with one of his friends when he was 15 and I eventually had to kick him out because mm -hmm. I knew he was using drugs, but I didn't know what he was using. And he would get in my face, like inches away from my face and yelling and swearing in my face and calling mm -hmm. me names because things weren't going his way. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have a lot of support from his father. So I eventually just said, you can deal with Jacob. And I had to kick him out. Mm -hmm. And he went and lived with this, this kid that I was just talking about. And this boy became his best friend, introduced him to Xanax and every other drug imaginable. And I watched Jacob go from about 210 pounds to 160 in probably six months. Mm, that's dramatic. Yeah. yeah. And at first he tried to tell me, oh, I'm working out, mom. Mm. And I'm like, no, you're not. No amount of working out is going to get him that lean. Mm. As well as his skin, you could tell his skin had like really deep, like almost like boils on his mm. face. And so I wondered what he was putting into his body to, you know, look like that because that's not mm -hmm. normal. Like acne as a teenager, yes, but that was something different. Mm -hmm. And that and just combined with his mood swings. So I would bring him home time and time again, you know, because he wanted to get off drugs. He wanted to go back to school. He wanted to change his life. And he was, it was just like a roller coaster ride. It was one month he's in the hospital, he's suicidal. The next month he's at home, he wants to do well, he's going to school, mm -hmm. then he's on drugs again. And this lasted until he was 18 and I had finally had enough. And I I'd kicked him out and I said, the only way you're coming back to live with us is if you, you know, get yourself some treatment. So he went to Henwood, which is uh, alcohol and drug addiction um, place in, in just outside of Edmonton. Hmm. And he was the youngest kid there, um, or youngest person really. So he was 18 and everybody else was like late 20s and older. And they hmm. all took Jacob in under their wing and they just all looked after him. And I remember he would call me and he'd call me every day. And he was like so pumped to be there. He was like, hi, mom, how are you today? And that wasn't Jacob. Jacob was usually attitude with me. But he, you know, he was a different kid. And mm -hmm. I think he was realizing that, you know, there's more to life than what he was living. So he ended up having to stay there five weeks because of COVID. It was supposed to be a three-week program. And they kept him for five weeks. But he didn't care. He packed on the pounds while mm -hmm. he was there. And he was just so happy. It was so nice to see. So when I picked him up, um, we went to uh, a, what was it called? Um, a sober living house that he was moving into. Oh, okay. So um, we, I took him there 
and he had moved in with three other guys and they were all older than him. Mm-hmm. And he was ecstatic about starting a new life in Edmonton and, you know, meeting new people. And I would come down every weekend to be with him, but I also encouraged him to stay away from using, you know, mm-hmm. I said, you, you probably should go into another, um, treatment center just to get stronger. Mm-hmm. And he didn't really want to go, but at the same time, the guys that were living with him were using Mm-hmm. And they would just do random drug testing on him or on all of them, actually. And Jacob was always the one that was sober, which was, was awesome. Um, so he eventually agreed to go into another um, treatment center. And this one was actually more for younger males. Mm-hmm. Like, I believe it was like 19 and older. And at first he didn't mind it. And then he decided he didn't like it. And I think it was really hard for him because it was very uh, isolated in the wilderness mm-hmm. just past sundry and so he was not loving it and he kept calling me and saying I don't want to be here I don't want to be here so he took a short nine-day break and then you know went to the doctor checked to see if his medications were all okay and and then he was allowed to come back so when he came back he was only there maybe a week mm-hmm. and he still was not enjoying himself there And I think back now, I think he was struggling with, he was wanting to use and it was just eating away at him, Mm -hmm. but he obviously wasn't going to tell me that. Mm -hmm. So I had said, okay, fine, I'll let you come home because there was nowhere else he could go after that. Um, And I told him that this one night and then the next morning I woke up and I had three dreams and they were all about Jacob dying. Mm -hmm. And I remember one. It was, it's, it's still very real. He was working on a, um, like a job site, a construction site. And there was all these guys standing around and they were all like, it's Jesse, it's Jesse. And I was looking at them confused because my oldest son is Jesse. Mm -hmm. And there was this one other guy standing there giving him CPR. And when I got closer, I looked at him and I was like, that's Jacob. But everybody in, in my dream was saying it was Jesse. Mm-hmm. So Jess, or Jacob had called me that day and I said, you can't come home. And he's like, well, why not? I said, well, I had three dreams, Jacob, mm-hmm. and you're going to overdose. And he's like, I'm not going to use drugs, mom. I'm not going to use drugs. And I just said, well, I, do, I just don't want you to come home. And then this counselor got on the phone and this counselor said to me, well, we already started the paperwork, so he has to go. And I said, well, I talked to another counselor this morning from Red Deer, and he told me that Jacob could change his mind. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, nope, the paperwork's already started. He has to go. Mm -hmm. And he's like, so do you want to pick him up in Red Deer? Or do you want us to drop him off at the homeless shelter? And I thought, for somebody that was supposed to be helping my child, he's not helping my child. Mm -hmm. Um, And I said, why would I, you know, get you to drop him off at a homeless shelter? And he goes, well, if you don't want him at your house, you know, we're just trying to, you know, give you some options. Um, And I said, so you're telling me I should punish my child for not finishing rehab and take him to a homeless shelter. Mm -hmm. How much sense does that make? Well, Well, not not only would you be punishing him for not finishing rehab, but you'd be punishing him for the center making some mistakes there. Exactly. Right? Some obvious mistakes. Not that we understand why they made those choices or not, but obviously that's a mistake. Yeah. So I was, I was frustrated. I wasn't ready to have him back in my mm-hmm. home only because I was fearful that he would relapse. Mm-hmm. 
So I went and picked them up um, in Red Deer, September 13th, 2020. And he came home that night, and at 10.30, I heard the door open downstairs, and I texted him instantly, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm just going for a walk. It's nice. It's summer. And in my head, I'm thinking, no, he's not, because mm -hmm. I was so used to his routine of, you know, what he would do. So the next day, he did the same thing, but he was up all night. He was up and down the stairs all night, and I, I, I knew he was using. Mm -hmm. And... I hardly got any sleep for like two nights. I seen him go into his room one day and he had the door, you know, open a crack and I looked and he lifted up his mattress and he had to bag his annex. And I was, I was just done. Mm -hmm. And I said, Jacob, I told you, if you come back home, you're not using drugs. If you do, you need to go. So he ended up staying with me for a month because he wouldn't leave. And then he eventually was like, he got the picture. He wasn't allowed to stay here anymore. So he was living with one of my girlfriend's daughters for about a week and still using. Um, I remember he called me one day because he was doing this job with selling alarm systems. And uh, he called me this one day because it was snowing in, in October. And he said to me, Mom, I need some, some winter boots. Can you send me some money? I need $160. And I would never give him money mm -hmm. because you just don't do that because you know where it's going to go. So I told him I'd look for some shoes downstairs or boots downstairs for him and bring them to him. And um, he was mad at me because I wouldn't give him money, so he hung up on me. Mm -hmm. And then I talked to him later that day, and I said, do you still want me to drop off these boots? And he's like, no, it's okay, Mom. I said, okay. So I just left it at that. Mm -hmm. And that was a Friday. And the Saturday went by, and I didn't hear from him. And I typically heard from him every day. And then the Sunday, I didn't hear from him. And all I could think of was... He must be on a bender. Mm. So about 9.40 that morning, the hospital calls, and I always had my phone on my nightstand when I would mm -hmm. sleep. Like, I would check it countless times, mm -hmm. thinking I'm going to miss a phone call from Jacob or the hospital or the police. And lots lots of times I did. Um, but this day I was awake, and, and I, I seen it was uh, Foothills Hospital, and I, and I answered the phone, and Jacob was like, Hi, Mom. My like, hi, Jacob. He's like, did, did the hospital call you and tell you I'm here? No. And he said, oh, I said, why are you there? He goes, well, I think I've been here since Friday. I think, um, I think that's when I got here. He goes, I took all my sleeping pills because I wanted to die. Hmm. And he goes, and I remember going into a Tim Hortons and talking to somebody there. And they called the police and the police took me to the hospital. Hmm. So him being a, an adult now, of course, they're not going to phone me. Mm -hmm. And Jacob was really good at losing his wallet all of the time, mm -hmm. which drove me insane, but that's just how he was. He, he was just forgetful. Um, <laughs> so he was going to get out of the hospital that day, but they were going to test him for um, COVID. And if he was negative, I think he said he had to go stay in a hotel or something for 14 days. Mm -hmm. And then the story kept changing. And then he's like, oh, no, I, I, I just I got to leave. So I'm going to go back um, down to the mustard seed. That's where he was staying after he'd left my girlfriend's place. And uh, so I just let him go. I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. So about two, maybe two weeks later, he got into a group home and uh, it was John Howard Society. And he had this one social worker that was, you know, saying he was going to help him find a place. Mm -hmm. So he ended up um, getting him into this group home 
And at first it sounded like a, a great thing, you know, like yeah. I'm thinking, okay, you know, he's got a place to live. He's not with me, stressing me out. Um, you know, he likes living on his own and being an adult, even though he's with other adults. Um, so I picked him up when he got there after two days and he said he really liked it. Hmm. Um, I asked him if he was getting random drug testing like they did in Edmonton. And he said, no, they don't do that there. He's like, I live with three guys on meth and one guy who's on fentanyl and they keep checking to see if he's dead or alive. Mm -hmm. And I was just, from that moment, I knew this is not going to end well. Mm -hmm. So we hung out that day and we went for lunch. We went to the mall. We just, we hung out. And then I, I took him back to the group home and I dropped him off. And he'd been asking me for weeks, can you cut my hair? Can you cut my hair? And I, I just kept thinking, well, how am I going to cut his hair? Am I going to drive out by Chinook, pick him up, drive to Airdrie, cut his hair, drive him back, and then drive back? Like, it was just too much at the time. So I didn't agree to cut his hair yet. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I talked to him a few more times. I, I talked to him every day, but like, like multiple times a day. But he had called me on November 10th. And he's like, can you please help me? I lost my wallet. And it's, it's, I think it's downtown in the core. Mm-hmm. And I was like, of course, losing my mind because he always does that. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> I, you know, was giving him crap. And I just said, you know, you need to get your shit together, Jacob. And he's like, yep, I know. I know. I will. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I said, okay, I work today. I will come down when I'm done. Actually, sorry, that was November 11th. I said, I'll come come down when I'm finished working. He's like, okay. So that night I drove, uh, I'm just going to rewind a little bit. He had sent me a lot of text messages that day and he seemed like he was very, very agitated too. Mm -hmm. He kept saying, mom, are you going to help me? Please, please, can you help me? And I said, yes, Jacob, I'm coming. I have to work. Mm -hmm. And then he said to me, you know, somebody told me to kill myself today. So I'm going to take fentanyl and I'm going to do it. Hmm. I said, who told you that? Don't worry about it. I said, Jacob, who, t- who said that to you? Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. So I don't know who would actually tell somebody to kill themselves, but the people that he hung around, I guess that's what they're like, you know? They- well, the, yeah. And when the lifestyle, like it's predatory, right? It's yeah. predatory by nature, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I soon found out it was a couple girls that he was hanging around, mm-hmm. ex-girlfriends. So that was uh, pretty heartless. Um but that night, I drove to Chinook Center to meet him there to pick up his medication. And I'll never forget driving up. I remember at Clara's day, um, I remember him walking in front of Harry Rose, and there's kind of a little hill there, and he's like walking over the ramp and coming down. And he meets me in front of shoppers, and I'm still grouchy because he mm-hmm. lost his wallet. And I'm beaking off at him. And he's like, did you come to here, here to help me, Mom, or did you come to bitch at me? Both. <laughs> I said, that's, that's what I'm here for. Mm-hmm. So he, um, we walked into, um, the back of the, the pharmacy and he did, he did, he just looked off. Mm-hmm. Like he looked like, well, he was just getting over a cold, but he looked agitated. Mm-hmm. Like something was wrong. So we walked to the back of the store. I gave him his $4 for his medication and it didn't matter if Jacob was sick, tired, hi, he always had manners mm-hmm. and he always had a heart. And if he didn't, and he remembered that he did something wrong the next day, he would always apologize. Mm-hmm. So he always had a conscience as well. 
but uh, you know, he got his, his two pills from the pharmacist because they wouldn't give give him the full prescription because he tended to take them all. Mm-hmm. So um, he gave him the four dollars and thanked the pharmacist, took the pills, and we walked out. I remember a kid standing out there about twenty years old, and he asked Jacob for change. Jacob's like, "Hey, brother, I don't have any change, but if I did, I'd give it to you." Mm-hmm. So we started walking back to my car, and um, I just kind of looked at him like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, well, aren't you going to give me a drive or a ride back to the group home? And I said, no, like you're sick. I can't Mm -hmm. afford to get sick. I work for myself. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm a hairstylist. I work with lots of people Mm -hmm. in my home. I said, I can't afford to get sick, Jacob. So he was pretty bent out of shape, but he was like, fine. So he gets in or he starts walking away and, and he's like, I love you, mom. And I'm really mad at him, but I'm Mm -hmm. like, no, you better say you love him. Mm -hmm. So I did. And then I got in the car and like I do, I texted him first thing, you got to get your shit together. Mm-hmm. I will, mom. I will. I said, okay. So then I drove home. I found out there was a job um, available with one of my friends for roofing. So I, I called him and I told him. Actually, I think I messaged him. And then he said, well, you know, I'm a newbie. Or are they going to want me? I said, Jacob, you're going to make more money doing that than you are on, you know, the COVID money. So, mm-hmm. you know, you need to do something. So he's like, okay, I'll, I'll call him. I'll, I'll definitely call him. So the next morning I got up and I, uh, I went to Calgary. It was, it was a beautiful day. I was buying some supplies, got back home about 12 o'clock for a haircut. And, uh, at, I was just finished the haircut and my phone rang. It was 1232 and I don't usually have my phone right beside me, but for some reason yeah. I did that day. And I looked at the phone and I seen a lady's name and I just thought I, I need to answer that. Mm-hmm. And I had just told my client who was a friend of mine, what had happened with Jacob the day before mm-hmm. with him losing his wallet and how I was frustrated. And, um, this lady was on the other line and she said, um, I'm calling from John Howard society. It's about Jacob. And I'm like, yep. And she has said to me, well, uh, we found him overdosed. And I said, mm-hmm. on what? And she goes, fentanyl. And I said, Okay, was he like awake? Because he had overdosed another time, like mm-hmm. a year before that. And when we went and seen him in the hospital, like he was alert. Mm-hmm. And um, she said, no. And she said, he's on the way to Rocky View. The lights are on, the ambulance. She goes, I don't think it's good. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know what to think. You know, like they're not telling you a whole lot. The hospital's not calling you. So I, you know got my friend to drive me into Calgary and I was calling everybody that I possibly mm-hmm. could. Cause I thought this, this isn't good. There's something not right. So when we got to the hospital, they only let me in and the social worker called me into a room and she said, um, the doctor is going to take you in like to, to see your son right away. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. And she's like, is there anybody I can call? Uh, nope. And she's like, okay. And I said, well, how is he? And she said, not good. Mm. And then she just left the room. So, you know, all these things are going through your head and not good could, could mean he's on life support. It could mean he's already gone. You don't yeah. know, right? I can't even imagine what you go through as a parent with that anguish, man. It, it, it was terrible. Wow. And I was by myself. Yeah. Which was pretty common. Um, God, you're incredible. Go ahead. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so, you're welcome. So then I, um, I was waiting for the doctor and she came in and, and she said to me, um, your son has been struggling for a long time. 
And she said, he was just here three weeks ago and he mm. overdosed on his pills. And I'm like, yeah. yep. I said, and you guys sent him home because he was told all of the time, whenever he would go in and, and overdose, like take too many of anything that he had, you need to deal with your drug issue. Then you can deal with your mental health issue. Mm. And nobody would listen to him. Mm-hmm. It was constant. Like they looked at him like he was just some junkie. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, you know, said, yeah, he's been struggling. And, uh, she said, well, um, you know, we, we've checked his body. There's no trauma. Mm-hmm. She said, we do have him on a ventilator to help him breathe. Um, and we've sedated him to help him as well. So I'm thinking, okay, what does that mean exactly? Right. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just hearing her say they're helping him breathe and that they've sedated him. So I don't know. I don't, I'm not thinking it's as bad as it really is. Mm-hmm. So she said that they were going to take me in to see him and then they were going to take him up to, um, the uh, ICU. So of course, then I'm kind of having a little bit of a panic attack. Mm. I'm not sure what I'm going to see. And I, I just remembered this one nurse come, coming up behind me and rubbing my back. And when I went in, he just looked like he was sleeping. They had him pumped up really high off the floor and there was like on, in the bed and there was like uh, four, I think four nurses watching all of, all of his machines. And he, and he did look peaceful. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just looked at him and I said, oh, Jacob, because I knew, I knew it was going to happen. I always said to people, it's not a matter of if, but when. Mm-hmm. So I followed them up to the ICU and they said to me, can you come back in half an hour? I said, sure. So I came back and this male nurse met met me at the door and then he said, "Um, you know, we're going to take really good care of him. Um, You can't come in. And I was like, what do you mean? Like I was told to come back in half an hour. And he goes, no. He said, we have to test him for COVID. Mm-hmm. And I said, he was just tested. He just, he was negative two days ago. Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, it's protocol. We have to do that. So he's like, you can call anytime, day or night. He's like, you can call a hundred times. I don't care. Mm-hmm. He goes, I will let you in to see him, you know, just to see him quickly. He's like, but you have to be fast. And I said, okay. I said, well, how is he? And he's like, he's critical. Mm-hmm. He's on life support. And only then, that's when it mm-hmm. sunk in that he might not make it. Mm-hmm. So I, I went in. I gave him a kiss. I said, I'll see you tomorrow. And then the next day, I called the hospital, and, and they were like, yeah, it's negative. You can come in. So I went in with um, the fellow that I was seeing at the time, and, and Jacob was laying there, and his eyes were open. And they said, oh, he's doing awesome. He's responding. Mm-hmm. But it, I'd never seen anything like that before. When we walked in, his eyes were open, mm-hmm. but they were like very open. And it was like he was looking back. And um, my ex-boyfriend at the time, he, he said to him, hey, Jacob, he's, like, your mom and I are here to see you. He's like, you're doing awesome, bud. He's like, squeeze our hand. 
he could squeeze our hand. Mm -hmm. Wiggle your toes. He could wiggle his toes. Blink. And you could mm -hmm. see him and he's trying to blink. Mm -hmm. And we're like, you're going to make it. You are going to pull through. Mm -hmm. So we were ecstatic. And um, then the next day, I was, I was told that only the parents could be there. Mm -hmm. So I hadn't been in contact with Jacob's father. So I ended up, um, I was going to go work out before I came to the hospital because I just didn't want to be stressed out seeing mm -hmm. his dad because we don't really get along. Mm -hmm. And I thought I'll go run on the treadmill first. And, you know, I didn't get a phone call, so he must be okay. Mm -hmm. And then I, there was something inside me said, no, call the hospital first. So I called the hospital and, and the nurse said, well, there, there's been a change. And I said, okay. And she said, he had some seizures last night and um, one of his pupils are dilated. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know what that meant. And I... Play next, please. Thank you. So I didn't know what that meant. And so I thought, well, I'm going to message my son's friend who's a nurse and ask him. And, and I'm very much a realist. I don't sugarcoat anything. I just say mm -hmm. what what I have to. And, uh, I said, Chris, this is what I've been told. What, you know, what do you think? And he said, it doesn't look good on paper, Cheryl, or look good on paper, Cheryl. He goes, but miracles can happen. Mm -hmm. And that's all he said to me. So I drove in and, uh, it's kind of funny. Cause when I walked up to the, the room, I seen this older guy sitting beside the bed and he was sitting beside Jacob and I didn't know who it was kept looking at him and looking at him and I'm thinking is it like a pastor like mm -hmm. like who's sitting with him turns out it was his dad mm. <laughs> so I didn't know because I had seen him for so long mm. and um that's pretty rough <laughs> yeah I was like oops, oops. Yeah. at least but, he showed up yep and um it, he just looked different because now mm. he had gray hair right so yeah um I I just walked in and I put my hand on his shoulder you know peace offering I don't want to fight this mm -hmm. is about Jacob this is our child yeah so no doubt when I went in, I could see the way Jacob was breathing. And I'd only seen that a couple times before, like under his gown. It just looked like, like this under mm -hmm. his gown. And I just thought, he's not going to make it. Mm -hmm. So we sat there till 1230 telling stories about Jacob and laughing with Jacob and wiping tears away from Jacob. And um, then his dad left for lunch for probably three hours and I, I, I would not leave the room unless I only had to run to the washroom. Mm -hmm. And so I remember at some point in the afternoon, his nurse said his other pupil had dilated. Mm -hmm. I still didn't know what that meant. Mm -hmm. I was still waiting for the doctor to give us the EEG results. And, um, then I think it was about two thirty in the afternoon. I, I just said to Jacob, I said, if you're tired, Jacob, I'll let you go. Hmm. you've suffered way too much and I don't want you to suffer anymore. Mm -hmm. So about three thirty, his dad came back and he stayed for about an hour and then he went home. And so it was just Jacob and I again. And I was just sitting kind of by the wall, probably about eight feet away from his bed. Mm -hmm. And it was like five thirty, and his blood pressure started to rise. And I didn't really know what was going on because nobody's telling me anything. Mm -hmm. Still waiting for the doctor. And then I'm watching it. 
I'm standing, looking at the machines, looking at him. Here's the head of his bed and looking out at the nurse's station. So I kept going like this and looking because it's climbing and climbing. Mm. They got to 191 over something. And wow. I'm looking at Jacob. He's got this little red mark over his left eyebrow. And then finally this nurse comes in and she's like, oh, his sedation's paused. So she turned it back on. She goes, it'll come back down. And then she leaves. So I'm still like, okay, I don't know what's going on. I'm not mm. asking questions because I'm thinking they're going to tell me, well, you know, you what's Well, you think they're telling on. you what's happening, yeah. But they haven't said anything except the doctor's coming soon. Mm -hmm. And I've been waiting all day. So at uh, 6.20, I, was, I didn't leave his bedside after that last one. It started climbing like nonstop. Mm -hmm. And I just remember looking at the machines, looking at Jacob like constantly like mm -hmm. this. And he started going red from his chest up. And I'm like looking at them like, why is nobody coming in? And finally, I, I, I had like pressure all on my chest. And I think I must have looked at them like, oh my goodness, like, why are you guys not coming in? Mm -hmm. And they said, the doctor's coming. By that time, his heart or his blood pressure was 229 over something. Oh, Jesus. So I was, you know, like in shock, like going, what's going on here? And the doctor came in and I said, like, why is this happening? And she said to me, I believe that Jacob suffered a traumatic injury to his brain. Mm -hmm. And she said, so right now the fluids are, you know, eventually going to cover, you know, his brain stem because there's only so much room in his skull. Mm -hmm. She says, so I believe his brain has died. And you don't really know what is being said to you. You're just kind of like, okay, he, he was responding yesterday. How mm. come today is so weird? And I do remember in um, emergency, the doctor told me it could take up to 48 hours to see if there's mm -hmm. any trauma done to the brain or brain damage or, you know, anything like that. So um, I, I said, well, I said, I want to donate his organs if that's the case. Mm -hmm. And she said, okay. She said, I need to do a bedside neurological exam. She said, so if you can come back in half an hour, everything was half an hour. Yeah. So I thought <laughs> I'll give her 40 minutes because I don't want to stand outside of mm -hmm. like ICU and they're not done yet. So I gave her 40 minutes and I came back and um, it was a different doctor. And I said, so what, what's the results? And she's like, um, it was inconclusive. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, I don't know if he was moving voluntary or involuntary. So I was just, okay. And I said, can't you do a CT scan or something to see? And she's like, well, they're going to do it again in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. I said, well, what part of his brain was damaged? Because my son from Australia keeps sending me information mm -hmm. about people living with a brain injury and blah, blah, blah. And I said, like, was it a small piece? Was it a big piece? Was it one side, like left mm -hmm. side, right side? Like, what was it? And she said, no, it was his whole brain. It was catastrophic. Oh, geez. And I'm still not hearing what she's saying because she's not saying what Specifically I Specifically what's happening. Yeah. yeah. So I was just like, okay. And so then his nurse, who was a lovely nurse, mm -hmm. um, she told me, you know, you can bring whoever wants to see Jacob tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I asked if Lola, his dog, could come, and she said, sure. Mm -hmm. So um, in the morning, I, I got up, and uh, I packed my scissors, and I went to the hospital. 
I, and I still remember it was beautiful. It was, you know, November 15th. It was a sunny day. There was no mm -hmm. snow. And um, I was driving on the highway and, you know, just still not believing that he's maybe gone. Mm -hmm. So I got to the hospital and I seen um, the doctor in the hallway and she said to me, I, I did the test again. She said, it's definitive. And I'm like, definitive. <laughs> I'm like thinking, definite, mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. And I said, all right. And I said, I want to donate his organs. She said, yeah, no problem. And she said, but we have to have another doctor be in agreement with me. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay. She said, so he's going to come in this morning at like before noon and do the test again. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, that's, that's fine. So I went into the room and I gave him his haircut that he'd been harassing me for. And I trimmed his beard mm -hmm. and I kept all of his hair just like, you know, when you give your your kids their first haircut, you keep mm -hmm. it in, in an envelope. And I did that again. Um, and to this day, I've never used my scissors or that comb on anybody. Mm -hmm. And they're not cheap scissors. They're like $650. But it's it just seems wrong, mm -hmm. you know, to, to use them on somebody else. But... That's fair. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, it probably makes Jacob smile that you use the expensive scissors too. Yeah, exactly. He's like, oh, those are my scissors. Yeah. <laughs> so those belong to me now. Yeah, he, he likes expensive things. So. Well, there you go. I don't know where he got that from. I, but... I couldn't imagine. <laughs> Take it his dad. <laughs> but, um... His dad's getting thrown under the bus a lot, eh? Yeah. So, it's too bad, man. Yeah. You're not here. Yeah. So... Um, after that, um, I just felt like cutting his hair was, was very therapeutic for me. Mm -hmm. um, one, because it, it's what I do, but it's what I did for him because that's what he really wanted. And I, I couldn't have let him just go without being clean cut how mm -hmm. he wanted to look, right? So um, then the doctor came in um, at about, I think, 11.45, and he came in and he said to me, um, you can stay if you like. He said, I'm going to do the same test as Dr. Wang, but um, not a lot of family members like to see what we put their loved ones through. Mm -hmm. And I was like, nope, I'm staying. Because mm -hmm. they needed to prove this to me now. Because I've been here for days and they haven't told me anything. Nothing specific. Like very, yeah. like lots of generalities, right? Yep. This is catastrophic. Okay, what's catastrophic? Like what's happening? Exactly. Yeah, I, sorry. I, and I was just like, Okay, I'm just going with it, right? Mm -hmm. Because, and I, and I, I think I kind of surprised them because I was so calm during most of it. Mm -hmm. And I think it was because I had really been planning for, for the last four years for him to die, mm -hmm. um, which sounds horrible, but it's true. You're a realist, obviously. Yep. Unfortunately. I, I remember driving with him and listening to songs, and some of them I played at his funeral, mm -hmm. thinking in my head, I'm going to play this at your funeral. And I did. Yeah. Um, he didn't know that, but... Uh, he might have. We don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, sometimes, because sometimes he had his own earbuds and he didn't mm. want to listen to my music. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, that makes sense, though. Yeah, he wanted to listen to Tenacious D or something. So, um, <laughs> but this doctor that, that came in, he was a younger doctor. He was like probably mid-40s. Mm -hmm. um, and so he started to do the test and I was just watching and about 15 minutes he stopped mm. and he, he looked at me and he said, I'm getting the same res results as Dr. Wang. And I said, okay. 
I said, I want to donate his organs. I, I was out of it the mm. whole time, right? And he said, would Jacob have wanted that? And I said, yes, he would have. Because when the Humboldt crash happened, he said, if anything happens to me, mm-hmm. donate my organs. Wow. So, um, I, of course, started, you know, welling up with tears. Mm-hmm. And, and then he did. And then he started, like, I, I must have started to cry. So then he started to cry mm-hmm. and he started apologizing. And he said, I'm so sorry for being unprofessional. This is so unprofessional. And I was like, you know, this is not unprofessional. I said, this is compassion. Well, you mean he's crying. He was apologizing for, oh my goodness. Yeah, and, and, and he's like, you know. Poor he's doctor. Like, I have four kids. I can't imagine what you're going through. Yeah. And I said, the thing is this. I said, my child deserves compassion. Mm-hmm. And he never got it. Yeah. He never got it at any of the hospitals. Yeah. They, I said, he was here three weeks ago and he overdosed mm-hmm. and you guys just sent him home. Yeah. Home and, was homeless. And unfortunately, that's the consistent behavior towards alcoholics and addicts, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, and they don't realize that that's somebody's child. Mm. You know, that is somebody's loved one. Mm. It's somebody's someone. And I, I find that a lot of people in, in the medical field just become numb. Mm-hmm. And they don't care who they're dealing with. It's mm-hmm. just like everybody's, you know, painted with the same brush. Yeah. You know? So I, I just said to this doctor, he said, I'm sorry, I can't imagine what you're going through. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, my child used drugs. I said, was he a junkie? No. I said, did he use drugs? Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. I said, and why did he use drugs? It was to feel better, even if it was for five minutes. Mm-hmm. And he just listened to me. And, and I think I made a change in his life. Mm-hmm. And, and Jacob did, I'm sure. For sure. And I told him how the first time he overdosed, we were at South Campus here in Calgary. And this young, probably 32-year-old doctor looked at Jacob and said, deal with your drug issue, then Mm -hmm. you can deal with your mental health issue. And walked out of the room while Jacob was asking him a question. And it was just, it was just devastating. Mm -hmm. And if that happened today, I wouldn't have been quiet. Mm -hmm. I just stayed quiet because I didn't know what to say. Of course. But today, I I would not have stayed quiet. Yeah. You know, somebody needed to be Jacob's voice. Mm -hmm. And I am Jacob's voice now. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll continue to be. Right on. But he ended up, um, he had to call Dr. Wang back in and, and finish the, the test. It took about an hour and a half. And by this point, everybody was messaging me that they, they all came at the same time to see Jacob. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, telling people, you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait. We're doing a test. Yeah. And um, so at 1.30, he left the room. And Dr. Wang and I were standing at the foot of Jacob's bed. And, and she said, so we are in agreement that Jacob's brain has died. So mm-hmm. Jacob has died. And I'm like, okay. It was like one <sighs> thirty in the afternoon, November 15th, 2020. And I just was like, who do I tell? Mm-hmm. Who do I tell first? And so I just left the room. I wasn't crying. I was just, I guess, in shock. Mm-hmm. I left the room and I walked out of the ICU and I'm like, Wow. I don't know who to call. Who do I call? Like, and then I thought, well, I, I should call his dad first. Mm-hmm. So just as I was, you know, coming around the corner by the elevators, his dad appeared. Mm. And so I told his dad. Yeah. And then two seconds later, Levi, his brother, appears yeah. with his girlfriend. So I told them. And then my mom showed up and my mm. sister and all my friends showed up and people that wanted to see Jacob. So 
we spent the rest of the day, well, I did, taking people in to say their goodbyes mm-hmm. to Jacob. Um, we did take Lola in, his dog, and that was pretty heart-wrenching. Wow. Um, so she, I put her between his legs, and she kind of walked up, up his chest, and then she smelt his ventilator and then turned around and then just stood between his legs. And I said, it's okay, lay down. So, and she's just this little eight pound puppy and mm-hmm. she just laid down and she rested her head on Jacob's leg and just sighed. Hmm. So she totally knew. Oh yeah. But. She's got goosebumps, man. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I, I have a picture of it too. It's, it was just. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, but then everyone got to say their goodbyes. Hmm. Um, and that night we met with um, the organ donation team and it was his dad and I, and, and we got to ask all the questions, like what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And um, as soon as we were finished the meeting, they got to work. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next morning, I think I, I came in the afternoon because I was going to stay over, overnight at the mm-hmm. hospital. So um, that afternoon I came into, just as we were coming under the underpass at 14th Street, uh, I got a phone call that one of his kidneys and his liver w- were accepted. Mm-hmm. And we were just ecstatic. Yeah. And then we got into the hospital and just as we got into the room, they said his pancreas and his other kidney were accepted. Nice. And he was on all of these medications to strengthen all of his organs mm-hmm. um, for the recipients. And by nighttime, his heart was accepted. And by morning, his lungs were accepted. Mm-hmm. So I got to ask... Um, in the morning when they were doing their rounds, actually before that, let me tell you this one thing. It's mm-hmm. kind of sad. Well, it is sad. This whole thing is sad. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't be sorry. But, Are you kidding me? Yep. It's sad and tragic with like so much, like obviously like strength of you and your family, like wrapped in this, right? Yeah. 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 We, we've definitely endured a lot. Oh, no shit. But, um, uh, the night that I wanted to stay, it was the last night that I was going to see Jacob. Mm. So it was Monday night, the, the 16th. And so I was lying in one bed across the room looking at him and I had taken a sleeping pill, couldn't sleep. Mm. I kept like, I doze off for a couple of minutes and then I'd like look at him and think, this is it. I'm not going to see him after this. Mm. So finally at um, five in the morning, I had this overcoming urge to go and lay with him. So I, I called the nurse and, uh, it was not his regular nurse, mm-hmm. but she came in and I said, I, I just want to lay beside Jacob. Can you move him over? She's like, yeah, I'll, I'll get somebody to help me. And I'm like, you have to be careful because his lungs are touchy and like mm-hmm. we, we want to be able to you know, donate them. And she's like, oh yeah, yeah, we'll be careful. So as they're moving him over, um, the nurse is standing beside the bed with me and she can see him obviously crying. So she starts crying and she's hugging me and she's like, I know what, what you're going through. She's like, I lost my son too. And he was 19. Oh no. And it was just so overwhelming wow. to think that other people had gone through yeah. similar things. How, however they lost their children, it didn't matter. Too many so, lost children. Yep. Yeah. So that was, that was a beautiful moment. So she put the railing down and you know, kind of boosted me up into the bed and mm-hmm. then put the railing back up and covered me up. And she was just this cute little nurse. And um, I slept with Jacob for two hours, which couldn't sleep all night mm. except then. So 
we went, um, I think at 7.30, we got up and we went and they were doing blood work and all this stuff on him. So we went and had coffee and came back. And um, at 11 o'clock, they were doing their rounds. Hmm. And they said, you can join us and, you know, ask any questions if you want. So, of course, I wanted to ask a lot of questions. And so when we were, um, they were, you know, doing all their lingo. I don't know what they were saying. I said, I have some questions. I said, I want to know how long was Jacob down? Mm-hmm. And so they gave me a play-by-play of when it all happened. And they said, at 10.30 in the morning, um, one of... one Sorry. of That's okay. <laughs> you got me. One of the um, workers at the group home walked past his room and heard him snoring heavily. Well, anybody that knows overdose... That's a sign of overdose. Mm-hmm. And this is somebody working in a group home with people who are actively using. And I didn't know this until after the fact, after Jacob died, that this was a group home for kind of an in-between mm-hmm. from being homeless to getting their own place. So, I had no idea. Yeah, so it was transitional and it was also um, harm reduction based is what I'm guessing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yep. And I, I didn't know. Yeah. So... Um, uh, I asked them, okay, so what had happened? And they said at 1030, they walked past his room and they heard him snoring heavily and they didn't check on him. And then at 1130, they walked past his room and they didn't hear anything. So they decided to check on him. Mm-hmm. So I believe they let him die. I spoke to a, um, paramedic a few months after Jacob died And I told her the same thing. And she said, if his pupils weren't dilated, all it would have taken was someone to shake him and he would have woken up. Hmm. So it's just very frustrating to think that there's how many people have died in similar circumstances Mm -hmm. because they didn't feel like checking on them. Mm -hmm. So um, they said that, you know, they started doing CPR Um, I believe at about 1138, the paramedics arrived by 1150, they got his heart going. It had stopped two times. Mm. They said he'd went through a lot with the cardiac arrest, um, or sorry, with the CPR. Um, he'd thrown up, it went back into his lungs. Mm. Um, so, you know, he, he, they really fought to keep him alive and Mm. I believe he fought to stay alive. Mm. Um, and then they said by 12.08, they left and they had him at the hospital at 12.18. And, uh, that's, you know, when they started doing all their other testing Mm -hmm. on him. Um, I asked, what did he use to overdose? And they said they didn't know. And I said, was it fentanyl? And they said they weren't sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know what color fentanyl was, so I asked because mm-hmm. I was told that someone, by someone that he did take fentanyl. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, you know, it's kind of greeny blue. And I was given a video of Jacob using fentanyl in a crack pipe mm-hmm. um, the same morning. And um, then I just, I just said to them, you know, I just would like to speak to you as a mom. I said... My son came to the hospital several times. 
whether mm. it was for overdose or he wanted to die. Mm. I said, and nobody would take him seriously. And I said, if you're in this field because you truly are compassionate and you want to help people, I said, you're in the right field. But if mm. you're in here for a paycheck, you need to go because these are people's loved ones that mm. you're looking after and that this is what you're doing. So we need to know that you're looking after our loved ones, how we would look after your loved ones. Mm. And when I looked around, there wasn't a dry eye. Everybody was crying. Mm. And it was nice to see because they're, they were actually listening. Mm. And they actually felt the pain. Yeah. So that day, they said they were coming to get him at 5. Um, so they came, I think, at 5 to 5. They actually let my ex-husband and his girlfriend in the room, myself and my boyfriend at the time in the room, and um, we got to say our goodbyes. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it, it was just very surreal. Like, you, you don't ever think that you're going to say goodbye to your child. Yeah. So at five to five, my ex-husband left the room. And I remember looking out and seeing them standing waiting for Jacob. Mm -hmm. It was five after five. And I said, do you want to come in? And they were like, no, take your time. And I was told they're usually like clockwork. Like mm -hmm. they're coming at five, they're coming at five because it's, you know, time sensitive with the organs. So I ended up at 5.15. I was like, okay, I, I've done what I needed to. Mm -hmm. And I just had like calm come over me. Mm -hmm. And so they came in and they started un unplugging his machines and then plugging them onto, uh, plugging them into the battery pack on his bed. And I'll never forget, like, all, like all of them were asking me questions and, um, you know, telling me that their child was suffering with mental health issues. Uh, one of the nurses that he had that day was unplugging his machines and plugging them onto into the bed. She was crying, and it was just unbelievable because he he'd left such an impact on all these people. Mm -hmm. And so did you, with Thank those you. people, yeah. And I I remember thinking I was going to follow his bed to the operating room. And then I thought, nope, I'm just going to look at like, they're wheeling him out of the room mm -hmm. and they're taking him for, for surgery and I'll see him again. So that's what they did. And when we packed up his room and we were leaving, pretty much all of the people that were working just stopped and were thanking me, mm -hmm. shaking our hands. And, you know, they were just so grateful mm -hmm. for, for Jacob's gift. So we got a phone call at... 10.30, they were finished the surgery. They said his lungs were touch and go until he went into the door of the operating room. And as soon as that happened, they perked up. Mm. So he was able to save five lives. Wow. He was supposed to get uh, one, of, one of the... Good for you, kid. Yeah. One of the recipients were, were supposed to get a kidney and um, the pancreas. Mm -hmm. But the pancreas was... It's, it's very delicate, I guess, mm -hmm. and it got damaged in transport, so... Unfortunately, the person didn't get both, mm -hmm. but they still got his kidney. Um, I did receive a letter from the lung recipient probably four months ago, mm -hmm. and it was beautiful. It was basically saying how um, it was the first time in years that he'd been able to breathe without oxygen and wow. how grateful he was to his, his donor and his donor family. Wow. Um, I potentially could meet these people if they're interested mm -hmm. um i if i wrote two letters and they wrote two letters like through organ donation um without any identifying markers um 
they could make it happen. That's so um, cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm ready to write letters mm-hmm. I, to the lung recipient because the other ones haven't reached out and maybe they're, yeah. maybe they don't want to and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am ready to, to start writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I want to make that difference for people. Mm-hmm. You know, the difference that Jacob made and him having such a terrible life in the sense that he was bullied his whole childhood Mm and um, dealing with mental health issues that he always had the biggest heart. And right now someone's living because of that. Mm -hmm. Someone has his heart, has his kidneys, has his lungs, has his liver. That's unreal. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty, it's, it's bittersweet. Mm, Of course. Um, I'm proud of him. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I just want people to realize that people don't choose addiction. Mm. They don't choose mental health. It's a disease. Mm. They're born with it. And you could have told me 10 years ago that this was a disease and I wouldn't have believed you. Mm. But I lived it. And I watched my son deteriorate with no help from any of the medical field. And I want to make a change. I want to be able to help people, you know, make a change to the medical field as well with, um, there's not enough supports out there for people who are struggling. And it's truly sad. Um, The amount of people that I talk to who have lost a child, who have lost a loved one from one, one simple mistake. Mm-hmm. They, they may have tried drugs once and it's laced with something. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people I, I talk to, I, I tell them, don't take anything from anybody. Mm-hmm. Almost everything is laced with fentanyl and people don't believe it, mm-hmm. but it is. And people are losing their lives. Like it's, it's, it's just, unbelievable how many people are dying because mm-hmm. of this and they shouldn't be yeah it's 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 like a pandemic really like yep you know pretty much so yep that's unbelievable yeah i'm so, so sorry for thank the you. loss of jacob yeah yeah no you know i i um i was one of these people that never believed in tattoos um I was like never getting a tattoo. Mm-hmm. And then my sister, when she was um, looking on Pinterest, she's like, oh, I'm going to get you a stamp pad and you should just take Jacob's thumbprints and make a heart out of it. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, okay, I'll do it, but I'm not going to get a tattoo. And after a few months, I just thought, you know what? I'm going to get a tattoo because it mm-hmm. means something to me. So I ended up getting this locket here. Oh, and cool. It, it has Do you mind if I come closer and look? No, no, yeah. no. It has his thumbprints in the locket. Oh, wow. And then his name, Jacob. That is beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. Well done. And then oh, yeah, I had one. to do another one for all three of my boys. So I did this one November 12th, yeah. 2020, because that was the day our lives changed and we got the phone call about Jacob. So I've got Jesse Levi Jacob here. Oh, and... Wow. The infinity symbol, so with my heart and my 
three hearts for my boys. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. My children are my life, and they always have been. But mm -hmm. um, you know, I I believe that um, being able to talk about Jacob has helped. It, it's helped me heal. Mm -hmm. It's it's helped his brothers heal, and um, I'll talk about Jacob till I'm blue in the face. I'm sure people get annoyed with it, but I just want people to realize that he deserved to live just mm -hmm. like you and I. Oh yeah, and he deserved to be respected mm -hmm. as everybody does. And yeah. unfortunately he didn't get that. Mm. And he didn't get the respect that he deserved until he was on his deathbed mm -hmm. and the compassion. And that is wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we need to start being more loving to people and more understanding. And if we can't understand, we, we, we should try to find somebody that, you know, can help us to mm -hmm. understand what, what they're going through. Cause yeah. it is, it's a struggle for them. And I'm sure Jacob wasn't happy with the way his life was going. I can assure you, yeah. You know, and mm -hmm. I know he, he felt shame when he would fall back into using. Um, and it killed me. It killed me to have to kick him out the last time. But it was this agreement that we had made. If you come back home, you cannot use. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that Jacob didn't have a house to live in and, and a mm -hmm. nice house to live in. But I would be there for him for anything. Mm -hmm. Even when he was on the streets, he knew he could call me and I was always there for him. Mm -hmm. And even when he was in his rehab, the second rehab, he was only allowed to call home or call anybody he wanted twice mm -hmm. a week. And he only called me. Mm -hmm. So I, I do believe he, he knew that I was his biggest support mm -hmm. and I just, I'm grateful that I was. So. And by the sounds of it as well, like grateful that you put in boundaries as time went on. Like, it's one thing to tough love and then just shut people out, right? But it's mm -hmm. another thing to tough love and then keep them because you love them. Yeah. Keep them at least within earshot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. But it also takes incredible strength because that's painful. Oh, very Right. Painful. Having to look at, answer that phone every day or those texts, like, that, that must have worn you down. Yeah. Well, like I said earlier, sleeping with my, my phone on my nightstand, mm -hmm. it was always on silent. But I never slept like peacefully because I just kept thinking in the back of my mind, I'm going to miss a phone call. Mm -hmm. And especially when he was on the streets, you know, I, I would just think the worst, you know, is he freezing to death tonight? Is he getting beaten up right now? Like, mm -hmm. where is he? All these thoughts go through your head. And um, I still don't know everything that he went through. Mm -hmm. I probably don't want to know. Um but all I can look at it now is he's free and he's at mm -hmm. peace and he's not suffering. And I'm still trying to deal with it and, and make it reality because mm -hmm. it's very hard to believe that it actually happened. There's, there's days that I, I think this is, a, this is just a dream. This yeah. didn't happen. It must just seem so far out, right? Yeah, like it does, you know, yeah. and, and I have Jacob's picture on my phone. Um, in the last couple months, I just keep looking at pictures of him and, and just thinking, this is real. Mm -hmm. He's gone. Um, but he's not. He's still, he's in our hearts. Mm -hmm. um, my oldest son, Jesse, just had uh, a son December 1st. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I have a, a two-year-old granddaughter from Jesse and Jackson, Australia. Mm -hmm. And then um, her name's Aurora. And then the set... And, Jacob got to meet her and 
I'll never forget, like he was holding her and he said, mm -hmm. Mom, she's so beautiful. And he just, he was in love with her instantly. My bet. And, and he had just met her, I believe, a week after he had his first overdose mm. in the hospital. But um, now the second one was born December 1st, and his name's Atlas Jordy Alexander Ocean. So he's named after Jacob mm -hmm. and um, Jax, which is Jesse's partner, her brother who passed away when he was 19 in a car accident. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So it, it's pretty cool to think that Jacob lives on in others. Mm -hmm. um, he looks like Jacob as well. Really? Um, eh? So that's kind of shocking. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, it's 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 kind of cool to think that, you know. Yeah. And a very like one one point for reincarnation right there, right? If looks like Jacob. This this child had this wide nose, mm -hmm. and, and Jesse's like, I don't know where he got the nose from. And I kept looking at it, and I was like, <laughs> that's Jacob's nose. Yeah. And You're like, somehow Jacob gave it to him. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, you know, it's, it, it's just funny how, how it works, I guess, mm -hmm. um, genet genetics and all that. But um, I love it. Yeah, it, it's J Jacob would have loved, you know, loved seeing his, his niece and nephew grow mm -hmm. up and... Um, just this um, past August, we had an International Overdose Awareness Day in Airdrie. Mm -hmm. And um, the mayor proclaimed that day to be um, Airdrie International, or sorry, Airdrie International Overdose Awareness Day. So they lit up the city hall with oh, purple lights. Oh, right on. So what was your part in that? Because I believe you had a huge part in it. Yeah, we had, um, there was four of us at the time um, that we had all lost some loved one in our family. Mm -hmm. Um and so it originally started with um, the three of us, Julie, Kim, and I, and we were going to ask if we could paint a bridge in Nose Creek Park purple and mm -hmm. call it the Bridge of Hope. And uh, we started with that. Uh, we did have another girl come and join us and, and help us with the event that day. And we had at least 15 different booths set up with information um, on services available, whether it's counseling, um, mm -hmm. addiction services, um, safe uh information yeah like yeah. everything that you could think of right mm -hmm. uh we had naloxone kits all of that there um unfortunately we kind of got rained out but it didn't stop there because like we ran for cover for about an hour but then we came back at six o'clock and mm -hmm. um mayor peter brown was there and he gave a very heartfelt speech um councilman al jones was there he mm -hmm. gave an amazing speech as well and and he watched jacob grow up um because my son Levi and his son Stephen were best friends. Wow. So he used to bring Jacob over while they were jamming. Mm -hmm. And um, he used to joke around with Jacob all the time. And we had numerous people mm -hmm. give speeches. Um, we had people do some raps. Mm -hmm. So it was it was pretty awesome. And we're doing it again this August 31st. Awesome. We've already rented the park. Yeah. And um, we're looking forward to it. And the amount of people that gave us... Um, credit and recognition and stopping us when we were putting up ribbons in the park or mm -hmm. just um we, we put pictures of our loved ones up in the park and said that they were allowed to as well mm -hmm. people were ecstatic yeah. to be able to finally talk about the, the dirty little secret that you're mm -hmm. not allowed to talk about yeah and it seems like unfortunately as cancer affects at least one person in everybody's family so does overdose oh overdose me mental health yeah. absolutely yeah. yeah totally they they yeah. go hand in hand and yeah. alcoholism it goes hand in hand and 
and I think people just need to be a little more compassionate and understanding that mm. this is truly something that not everybody can fight, you know, mm-hmm. without help. So we just definitely need more supports. Agreed. I, I really appreciate all that you've done for Airdrie, obviously, and, and other communities that will benefit from that, like Thank from you. what you are doing there. You're welcome. Um, I don't even know what to say. Like, honestly, I just, I'm blown away by like the courage and strength and the hope, right? Like I, I I'm always at a loss for parents in general, but for parents who lose children and go on afterwards, I don't, I have no idea how you do it. Um, it is in my mind as an uncle, just an uncle, um, that would be probably the worst thing that could happen to a parent from what I've learned about parenting, you know, um, and watching families go through this. Um, yeah, I, uh, I really appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You, you never expect to lose a child before you. Um, and unfortunately I, I, I do believe that I, I knew Jacob was going to die from an overdose and mm-hmm. I, and, and I told him you will die from fentanyl and you will die from an overdose. And he said, I'm not that stupid mom. Mm-hmm. I said, you don't have to be stupid. Jacob. Yeah. Not about intelligence. And yeah. unfortunately, you know, it came true and it sucks. I miss my child. Mm-hmm. I miss his laugh. I miss him lipping me off sometimes, <laughs> you know, but, uh, well, cause he got the lipping you off from someone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His other brothers. <laughs> yeah. His brothers for sure. It was definitely his brothers. Couldn't have been his mom. No, no. no. but everybody misses him. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like all of his, his family, um, what little friends he did have, they do miss him. Mm-hmm. And I'm just glad that I'm able to speak about him. Yeah, I'm really glad you can too. I'm glad that you're willing to do that. Yeah. Um, so before we close, unless there's anything else you want to talk about, uh, I, I, I'm getting the impression that like the message, one of the messages is to have compassion, right? And Definitely. is there anything else you'd like to share like to other parents out there or anyone going through it, that anything you have to say? What I would probably say to parents um, is to really to keep your eye on your on your kids. If they seem like they're spending a lot of time in their bedroom or they're hanging around people that you know are a little questionable, don't be afraid to you know ask them what's going on. If I've always told my kids they could talk to me about anything, mm-hmm. and. I was a young mom. I was 18 when I had my first son and it made me who I am today. And I, you know, I joke around with everything about like everything with my kids. They know mm-hmm. I've got a pretty sick sense of humor, but, um, <laughs> I think you'd have to for three boys. Exactly. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, I've never, I've never been one of those people that think that you should hide things mm-hmm. from your kids. Um, you, you have to be open with them and you have to be real. Because the way kids are today is nothing like they were when we were kids. Mm -hmm. And there's way more drugs and just poisons out there just waiting to -hmm. to get your child. And so you have to just be open and, you know, ask questions. Mm -hmm. And keep the lines of communication open all the time. Right on. Thank you so much again, Cheryl, for coming on. I appreciate you and everyone out there who is dealing with a loved one going through this or anyone who's lost a loved one. Um, yeah, just reach out if you can, you know, like there are some options. 
Um, but of course, like, I don't know, I'm just left with you. You keep saying it. And, you know, <clears throat> I think it's one thing we could all use a little more of is compassion for others. And, and I just really appreciate you saying that. Thank you. 100%. Thank you, Dave. You're welcome.